Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Can I get a hearty amen on that? Wow, the song service was such a blessing. Uh, saw a few folks nearly hit the ceiling. And uh, that is a blessing. And boy, I felt the, the swell of praise in my soul to the Lord for his wonderful salvation. What a blessing. And what a blessing to be able to experience it together. And that's what we're talking about tonight, the local church. Several years ago, I was collaborating on a project with peers and others uh, working above me. We began working on this project and first seeking to, to define who we were and who we were going to become. We found this actually to be quite difficult, however. Several differing philosophies were presented, and agreement was never quite reached regarding who we were. Deadlines started to approach, however, and we were forced to begin doing what we were supposed to do. We tried our best. We made paraphernalia, purchased equipment, we built production systems, set up committee, committees to tackle different aspects of the project. We even restarted it multiple times. However, we could never really get the project off the ground. One big reason was that we had never figured out who we were. It's important for entities to understand who they are and therefore what they do. We see this in the business world. FedEx needs to understand that they are a logistics company and therefore offer logistics for transporting packages in a timely and efficient manner. Think of Coca-Cola. They need to understand that they are a soft drink company and therefore produce soft drinks. Boeing needs to understand that they're an aircraft manufacturer and therefore organize their company to produce aircraft. For four summers, I worked at a company called Supersteel. We had to understand that we were a steel manufacturing company and thus manufacture grain bins, cranes, locomotives, and many other things that produced um, whatever the customers needed us to produce. And you see, the local church is the same way. One author says this, we first need to understand what it means to be the church and then focus on what it means to do church. As a local church, we need to understand who we are and therefore what we do. We're here in 1 first, uh, first Timothy 3 and verses 14 and 15. I'll go ahead and, write and read these. You can follow along with me as I read. We need to understand who we are. These things write I unto thee, this is Paul writing to Timothy, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. See, we need to understand the essence of the church primarily. This is who we are. You see, Timothy, he was a follower of God. 
He was a follower of Paul as Paul followed God. And Paul was investing into his life, giving him instructions on how to be that pastor that he needed to be. So we, he starts out here in verse uh, 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. You see, he, Timothy needed to act in a manner that reflected the instructions given in chapter number 2 and chapter number 3. He needed to lead his church in that manner as well, the, in, the, in the manner of following those instructions. You see, Timothy, as a follower of God, he was a disciple. A disciple is a follower. Uh, Jesus, early on in his ministry, walked up to uh, what, we came to, what we have come to know as the disciples, and he challenged them to leave everything and follow him. And they did that. Many of them, um, several of them did that. They just walked away from their jobs, walked away from their tax collecting job, walked away from their fishing jobs, just left their nets and followed him. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is also a soldier. 2 Timothy 2, 3 uh, also cha challenged uh, Timothy. Paul challenged Timothy. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he said. A disciple is also a soldier. And you see, a disciple is also obedient to the scripture. And a church is made up of disciples of Jesus. A local church is a group of baptized believers living within a particular geographical area who understand and identify themselves as the local expression of the body of Christ and agree to live together as the body of Christ according to the ethic where provided in the scripture. Disciples are those who are obedient to the scripture. We, we move on here in this verse. Not only was he uh, to know how he ought to behave himself, but it was, he was to know how to behave himself in the house of God. Timothy and the believers here in this passage had the responsibility to live in a way that followed those instructions that had just come in, in the family of God just as they would have those responsibilities if they were in a family setting. You see, in a family setting, there are responsibilities. There's a responsibility of the father to provide and care for the children. The mother is supposed to tenderly nourish and work with the children. Um, the, the children are supposed to obey the parents. They're supposed to, as siblings, come together, get along in unity. And sometimes that's harder than it uh, looks on paper, right? as we all know from our growing up, up, growing up years and working with children. Um, but in the house of God, as the family of God, they were supposed to re, uh, sense that, that responsibility that they had to God and to one another. The passage continues on, says, which is the church of the living God. So it's qualifying now, the house of God. So which is the church of the living God? Uh, the church. What is the church? It is, simply put, the assembly. This is where this familial responsibility is to take place. So the word church is used in, our, in the English, in scripture, uh, 77 times. And it simply means assembly, a group coming together. Uh, the Greek word ekklesia means the called out assembly. We see, we see this used in the Old Testament time uh, with, with Israel. Uh, God had them as the called out assembly uh, in the wilderness. They weren't, they weren't the church as we know it here today during this time, but they were in uh, the basic sense of the term. They were a called out assembly 
in the wilderness. So this, this, uh, this phrase here, which is the church of the living God. We also see some important things found right here in this phrase. God is a living God. We sang songs about that this morning. How many of you were encouraged by those songs this morning? What a blessing. What an encouragement. One author put, put it this way. The church's unique identity is found as that assembly of people who enjoy the presence of God in its midst. They couldn't enjoy the presence of God if he weren't a living God. Therefore, the church is not an organization, but it is an organism. We'll take a, a closer look here at the person in charge of the church. We see in Ephesians uh, 4.15, and we'll be there here in a few minutes, but uh, Christ, it says, which is the head, even Christ. And it's speaking about the church in that context, as we'll see here in a few moments. But Christ is the head. He's the person in charge of the church. He's a supreme Christ. We find this in Colossians 1, 17 and 18. It says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is the supreme Christ. He's also the living Christ. We see this here in 1 Timothy 3.15, the living God, as we already pointed out. But we also see this in Matthew 16.18, says this, Jesus was talking, he said, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, if Christ is dead, then he can't build his church today. He is a living Christ. He is also the glorified Christ who deserves glory in the church. Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21 explicitly state this. They say, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. He is the glorified Christ who deserves glory in and through the church. Now this verse doesn't stop here. It continues on, that thou know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is another illustration of the church. The church as a building. The church is the support, a foundation, the ground, and structure. It's the pillar for the truth. So it's a foundation, and it's the structure of the truth. And Paul is using this strong mental picture to emphasize the church's charge to protect and to declare the gospel in the face of heresy. So we ask ourselves, we see uh, the pillar and ground, what that, that means, but we ask ourselves, what is the truth? That's a great question. You know who asked that question in scripture? Pilate asked that same question. He asked what is the truth to the very one who was the truth? And we'll see this progression here. In John 17, 17, we, hear, we see Jesus praying. We find out that the word is the truth. He prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's in opposition to the father of lies, the devil. There is no truth in him at all. But that thy word is truth. Not only do we see that the word is the truth, we see that Jesus is the word. We find this in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
we find out further down in the passage, John 1.14, which we heard last Sunday evening, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that Jesus is the word. So we see that the word is the truth, we see that Jesus is the word, and then we see that Jesus is the truth. John 14.6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The head of the body of the church, the head of the body, which is the church, is the truth. That is Christ. The church is based upon and upholds the truth. I should say, the church is based upon and upholds the word, which is the truth. So I have this, this thought that we ought to consider tonight. If the pillar and ground of the truth, the church of the living God, does not uphold that which is truth, it has lost its credibility. Therefore, the pillar and ground of the truth must uphold the truth, which is Christ and his word. If we aren't placing Christ as preeminent within the church, we've lost our credibility. If we aren't placing the scripture, which we find this very truth of Christ being preeminent, as preeminent, we've lost our credibility. In this day, the truth is under attack. The scripture is under attack. Friends, we ought to uphold Christ and the scripture as preeminent, for it is the truth. We as the church must not only understand our identity, however, our essence, that is, who we are, but we must understand our function, what we do based upon who we are. So we find out about the function of the church. Not only do we see the essence of the church, who we are, but the function of the church, what we do. And so I want you to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We're going to go through and break this down. Hang with me now. I, I can understand that sometimes defining a concept at first can get a little bit into the weeds. You're doing a great job of sticking with me. We're going to now see what we do, and you'll see how this understanding of who we are really uh, comes to, to benefit us as we understand what we do. We're reading now in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. You can follow along as I read. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So first of all, here in this passage, we see that there ought to be every member ministry within the church. So you see listed out there, first in verse number 11, a number of giftings. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And yet, I want you to notice verse number seven, actually, if you back up with me, says this, 
But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So we see some leadership gifts within the church here in verse 11. Yet at the same time, I want you to recognize that every one of us has been gifted to bring the church, the body of Christ, into the fullness of Christ. And we'll talk about what that looks like. But I want you to understand here at the outset of this passage that you have a gift to be exercised in this body. It's not just, it's not just some special people that we might think of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and, and teachers. Whoa, the important people. And they have their role, for sure. They have their role. But you have a role. You have a gifting to be exercised in the body of Christ. It's every member ministry within the church. Gifts are given so that every member can be built up. Every member is to do the work of the ministry. So there's a progression that's, that begins to build here in verse number 12. So Christ gave gifted people who prepare every saint to do the work of the ministry for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Gifted people equip every saint to do the work of the ministry so that the building up of the body of Christ can happen. It's this progression. Now, there's a danger that we can have, that we can tend to have when we approach uh, the body of Christ and kind of uh, what we see is maybe uh, this, this hierarchy of uh, the clergy and the laity, the, the average Joes, you might call them. <laughs> um, there's a danger of having clergy mentality regarding ministry where we say, oh, that's what we're paying, that's what we're paying the pastor to do. We work our jobs, we pay the pastor, he does the work of the ministry. Good? Can we all go home now? Can we work our jobs the rest of the week? Cool. That is, not, that is not the model that we see here in the scripture. That would be pretty boring, come to think of it. If, if all we were doing was just to pay one man to do all the ministry, it's not going to be very effective, for one. Secondly, the pastor is going to burn out very quickly. Thirdly, um, yeah, I'm still back at this, not going to be very effective. <laughs> and there's also going to be an us versus them mentality. It's not going to be a spirit of unity within the church. It's going to be like, oh, there's that man. He does what he's supposed to do, and here we are. Uh, we'll take some tidbits home for the week. No, friends, you, you in particular, have been called to a specific ministry in this body. So this progression of these verses eliminates the distinction between the clergy and the laity. It doesn't have New Testament support at all. One writer put it this way. Stick with me here on this. Every kingdom citizen has something significant to contribute to the work of the body of Christ in his or her geographical location and throughout the world. There's no New Testament concept of a pew sitter in the local church, nor is there any biblical notion that someone can be a member of the body of Christ and only attend the worship gatherings. Being a part of the church means more than being a part of a crowd. Missionaries must grasp, and I, and yeah, I would say pastors as well, must grasp and teach the truth that passivity is not a part of kingdom life. Rather, kingdom life, that means kingdom, uh, being a part of God's kingdom, means bearing spiritual fruit and being discipled warriors in the ongoing spiritual battle. That's what we've been called to do. 
Every member ministry, friends, is the only way to build up the body of Christ. And we see the ultimate goal. Look with me in Ephesians 4 and verse number 13. You see, maturity is the ultimate goal. We see first there in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So first, we have that salvation understanding. We're unified because we've all placed our faith in the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ, the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. But we also then see a progression there, unto a perfect man. That simply means growing to be a mature person. And, 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 and then a mature, like, a, a, like a, a mature body, a mature person. And then growing into the measure of Christ's full stature. You see, the last part of verse 13 says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, in other words, growing into, mature, into a mature body looks like growing into the fullness of Christ. So, it's saying, everyone, use your gifts from Christ to their full measure. See that in verse 7. And then as this occurs, the body as a whole will measure to Christ's full stature. So I'm going to use an illustration to, to help us understand this a bit. So over here we have a, the son of, son of a father. He's an infant. He's a baby. Starts out young, fresh, helpless. He needs lots of attention. He makes lots of messes. His father provides food for him. And is, of course, you know, his mother's involved too. Probably more than the father, right? Let's not discredit the mothers now. <laughs> so, okay, mother and father are working together, but the illustration breaks down. But it's okay, just track with me for a second. So, we have this young infant. Father and mother are working very hard to rear and grow and nurture this child who starts to grow physically. He starts to grow. He starts to grow mentally as he starts to be beginning to process things he sees and understands in life. He starts to grow emotionally. He starts to have feelings and uh, feelings of happiness, feelings of hurt from others or inadequacy uh, when he compares himself among others. He starts to, to grow spiritually in understanding uh, some basic things about his, himself. He doesn't measure up to what seems to be even societal standards. If he's in any sort of spiritual uh, setting, he's, he sees that he doesn't measure up to God's standard, and therefore he's a sinner. So he starts to develop his spiritual understanding, and he starts to grow. Grows physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, mentally. He's growing, and he's growing, and he's growing. And his, father's, his father and his mother are pouring into him uh, education, food, exercise, hard work ethic, and he's growing and he's growing and he's growing. And one day, uh, he becomes as tall as his father. He starts to think like his father. He starts to measure up to the fullness of his father in height, in thinking process, in spiritual depth, in emotion. Yes, it's an imperfect illustration. But this is what it's like to mature as the body of Christ, to measure up to the fullness of Christ's stature as the body. Maturity will keep the body stable through doctrinal confusion, pushback, and attempted deception. 
you see that there in verse 14. It says, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You won't be tossed around by every wind of doctrine as you mature in Christ, like children would, would be. Children uh, has the, the idea of childlike understanding or ignorance, inexperience, a lack of perception. We were just describing what it, what it was like to be a child, and you remember those feelings. You, uh, there was a social awkwardness, and you don't have that, you don't have that perception, that, that experience in life. That's what it's like to be, uh, to be no more children, uh, to, to have that understanding. Tossed to and fro. It has the idea of instability. I'm thinking of last summer. I was out on Lake Michigan, and my family and I enjoy camping in the summer. And I recently had purchased a paddleboard, and I had been on some pretty calm lakes, and I enjoy paddleboarding. Nothing like when it's completely smooth as glass. The sun is setting. Uh, a couple years back, I was up in Killarney Provincial Park in Ontario, Canada. and like the sun goes down at 10 p.m. and the smoke from all the campfires comes over to the over the lake there's some copperheads basking on some residual heat from rocks uh, within the water and uh, you're just paddle boarding and you, you try to get that paddle to make absolutely no splash and you really feel like you're walking on water more like gliding on water and it's just glass so smooth so I love that feeling of paddle boarding but as I was paddle boarding out on Lake Michigan that is not what I experienced. <laughs> it was uh, rather a disaster. I, it was like a, um, a self-made uh, roller coaster. And I was very, very instable. Uh, I was trying to stand up, and these waves were about, oh, I don't know, three feet. It was a real windy day out there. And uh, so I'm, I'm going. And the problem is you're going along, and that one wave kind of sets you back. And then you don't see the next wave from behind, and it, it sends you forward. Well, it sends your boat forward. It sends you backward. And, uh, man, so it was kind of maybe like a, an extraordinarily mild form of uh, bronco busting. I, I can't speak to the matter. I've never done bronco busting. I don't think I want to try. But needless to say, I was very instable, unstable in the lake there. My, my platform was uh, anything but firm, steady, and I was being tossed to and fro. And carried about has uh, the, the next phrase there. It says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about. The idea is of confusion or disorientation. I was at the air show yesterday, and uh, if I had been one of the pilots in probably any of those planes, I'm trying to think of one that didn't do something crazy. Um, Maybe the C-17? I don't know. I would probably still feel a sense of disorientation. I have a very queasy stomach, and the roller coasters don't sit well with me. I'm, I'm trying to get better, but my policy is on a roller coaster, if it goes one way, it must go the other way very soon. I can't be stuck in the same way, or I'll, yeah, it won't end well. We, at school camp years ago, we would do this activity where we'd uh, have this broom above our heads and you'd spin 15 times and then put the broom down and try to step over it. <laughs> um, certain individuals could do that. I could not. 
I would try to step over it, and suddenly I would meet the ground over here. It was very, very strange. But I am certain that's the feeling I would get if I were in those airplanes yesterday. Some, some uh, pilot flying for Red Bull was doing just fishtailing and uh, negative Gs, positive Gs, like crazy, flipping around. And you all know the terms, being from Dayton, I'm sure. But uh, it just, I, could, I summed it up as flat out crazy. But really cool to watch. I mean, I'll watch all day long, but you won't find me in there. But I can imagine I would have that feeling of disorientation very quickly. That's the idea of carried about. So we see that henceforth we no more be, uh, be children tossed to and fro, unstable, carried about, disoriented, with every wind of doctrine. And this, um, this occurs, how? By the slate of men and cunning craftiness. This has the idea of deceitfulness or trickery of men. They use and misuse the scripture for their own devices. So I ask us, friends, how important is it for you to know what your Bible is actually saying? How important to you is it for you to know what your Bible is actually saying? You will not be easily confused by those who attempt to twist the scriptures if you personally are grounded in the word of God. How frequently are you using your gift within the body to edify it so that it can withstand every attack of doctrine that comes its way? When the body is truly edified, then it will be mature. Mature enough to withstand doctrinal trickery and deceit of man. That maturity is only reached through edification, and edification can only happen as the equipped saints exercise their giftings within the church body. So we see that, uh, that there's every member ministry that's, that ha that's happening within the church. But we also see, friends, that there is an environment of love within the church. Every member exercises their gift in the body in an environment of love. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. All through Ephesians, you'll find there's, there is a... Focus on unity, and there's an emphasis on love as the way to reach that unity over and over and over again. Here's one of those instances, but speaking the truth in love, in contrast to, in rebuttal to, those winds of doctrine that are coming. And we see them very prevalent within our day, too. And as we're grounded in the scripture, as we're exercising our gift, we'll, we'll be able to speak back to that. We'll be able to speak uh, confidently, directly into those uh, winds of doctrine, those trickery, those deceits that have come from, from folks who say they're using the scripture correctly but are putting a slight twist on it to, to use it, misuse it for their own purposes. As that comes, we can speak the truth directly to it but in a spirit of love because we've been in the body, we've been exercising our gifting, we've been building ourselves up into the measure of the fullness of Christ in an environment of love. This was actually the Ephesians' problem. This was their church's problem. What happened when we come to them, come to uh, instruction given to them in Revelation? What had happened to them? They had lost their first love. They had separated, they remembered to separate from false teachers in, in, in accordance with the instructions in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, but they had forgotten to love Christ. 
Separation can happen, but love is primary. They had actually put the cart before the horse. They had put separation before love. Loving God and loving each other, the two greatest commandments, they had actually neglected primarily. True love toward one another, friends, will breed a spirit of unity. And this is how we are to walk worthy, which is how the beginning of Ephesians 4 begins. So the truth is spoken in love. We just referenced that. And unity is gained in love. We'll find this in verse 16. The illustration here is the church as a body. It says, From whom the whole body, fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, that means every part is effective in working together, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There it is again. So a body needs care, right? Every day we care for our bodies rather substantially. We have skin care. We have facial care. We have teeth care. We have deodorant, I hope. And we have Sam's hair products. Uh, interestingly, Sam has been wanting to do a little DIY hair pro natural hair product. And I would say he's, um, he's starting to perfect that. Um, in fact, I'm looking to actually purchase some DIY hair, na natural hair product from Sam. <laughs> Mary's saying, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> well, thankfully, I've been able to test some of it, and it's going well. Now you're going to be staring at my hair the rest of the evening. Please don't do that. Just look at Sam. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's been, a, that's been a, a fun thing he's been, he's been getting into. But, but the point is, friends, the body needs care, doesn't it? You care for your body, morning, evening, supplements we take, vitamins, um, even more uh, aggressive pills if we need to, lots of things we do, contacts we wear for our eyes, so many things because the body needs care. And the Corinthians actually needed to remember this as well. We don't have time to, to dig into, the, into that passage. But in 1 Corinthians 12, it, it gives a whole breakdown of how the gifts are being used or ought to be used. And then it says, now there's, I'm going to show you, Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And what does he do? He goes into a whole chapter on love being the primary thing in 1 Corinthians 13. So the, it, it's not an uncommon issue to struggle with love in the body of Christ, which is why Paul puts an emphasis on it in his instructions to the Ephesians, in his instructions to the Corinthians, and it's found as a theme throughout the New Testament. Not only, friends, are we to exercise this, this, uh, our giftings through an environment of love, but also at our actions of love, we need to demonstrate an action of love toward those outside of the church. We need to understand primarily, first and foremost, who loved us. It's Christ, our very head of this body. Christ loved us. Therefore, we love him because he first loved us. As we love him, we love his commands. And one of his, his first commands to the group of disciples that was 
going to uh, inaugurate the church, that was going to start the church, was go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he, he goes on and says, baptizing, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. So as we respond out of a heart of love to our head, to Christ as our head, because he first loved us, we're going to be obedient to his commands. We're going to go. We're going to teach all nations. We're going to baptize them. We're going to teach them to observe everything that's instructed in the scriptures as we're seeking to do ourselves in the body of Christ and through the body of Christ. So I want to leave us with some, some, closing, uh, some closing thoughts. Obviously, we can't go into every depth and every avenue of, uh, into the, the discussion of the local church. It's quite comprehensive. But friends, the church ought to be growing. It ought to be growing. It ought to be growing in the spirit of love as we exercise our gifts under the fullness of Christ, as we've discussed. The church ought to be advancing. Jesus said, I will build my church, as we read earlier, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to point out a couple things, friends. As we are responding in love toward those outside of the church, and we're advancing, we're advancing against the gates of hell. Our gates offensive weapons. They're not. Gates are not offensive weapons. We're not just to be standing strong as a church, friends. We're to be storming the gates of hell. They don't stand a chance. If we're focused on standing, we won't be storming. If we focus on storming, the gates of hell will have to get busy standing, and Jesus promised us they don't stand a chance. We ought to be growing. We ought to be advancing. There's nothing that can stop the body of Christ when we're operating in our giftings, in the love of Christ, to the lost. There's nothing that can stop us. Not even the gates of hell can, with, can withstand the attack the frontal, direct attack of the church on mission. Finally, friends, the church ought to be multiplying. Think, of the, think about this. It's a good thing that the early church multiplied. It's a really good thing. We actually wouldn't be here tonight if the early church hadn't, been, hadn't multiplied. I don't mean to be disrespectful to the church at Ephesus, but how, how's their Sunday evening service going tonight? I, I, I hope that in, this, in that actual region of the world, and I, I believe so, I believe God's working, that there's, there's probably a church there, but it's probably not this church. It's a good thing they multiplied. It's a good thing other churches in that region multiplied, that they came over the seas, that they came to us, and that's why we're here tonight. It's a really good thing that they multiplied. I wish I could take us through the pattern of advance through the book of Acts, your pastor's been preaching through the book of Acts, so hopefully you've been listening. I'm sure you have. But we see that that was a church. Those were churches, local churches, fun functioning in their locale in, an, in advanced mode. In not just advanced mode, but multiplying mode. Paul said, he, he gave an entire region, and he said, 
The gospel's been preached everywhere, everywhere in that region. Why? Because they had gone everywhere preaching the gospel. Yes, out of persecution, but they had gone, they had preached, they had multiplied as churches. The church ought to be growing, it ought to be advancing, and it ought to be multiplying. So as we conclude, friends, we think about who we are, and we think about what we do. Do you know, here's a couple of questions I want you to, to consider in conclusion. Do you know what your gifting within the body of Christ is? Have you considered that? Have you personally considered what your gifting within the body of Christ is? Are you actively, readily exercising your gifting within the body of Christ? Or do you, maybe you don't, maybe you're not acti actively using it because you're not quite sure what it is, and that's okay. Take some time before the Lord. We're going to even take some time tonight, here in a minute. We're going to pray and ask the Lord, if you don't know what your gifting is, what is my gifting? And, or you might know what it is, and you're not readily, you're not actively exercising your gifting within the body of Christ. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're not quite sure what, maybe you're fearful of the unknown. You're not quite sure what would happen if you started exercising your gifting. Maybe pastor would call you and ask you to be on staff here. Oh, I don't know. Maybe something wild would happen. But I don't think that's something we should be afraid of. There's no cause for fear to exercise our gifting within the loving body of Christ. Are you actively, ready, readily exercising your gifting within the body of Christ? Here's another question. Are you seeking to demonstrate the unique love you experience within the church to those outside of it by leading them to a saving, believing knowledge of the Son of God? Final question. Are you prepared to advance and multiply this body of Christ as God would lead? Are you prepared to advance and multiply this body of Christ as God would lead? Would you be willing to move locations, to move down the road a bit, to change jobs. Are you that open, are you that surrendered to advancing and multiplying this body of Christ? It's a question we all ought to seriously consider. I believe God is raising this church up. He's placed it on the heart of your pastor. He's placed it in your hearts that God would make this an advancing and, yes, even multiplying body of Christ. Are you getting prepared for that? Are you getting prepared for that? Let's go ahead and bow our heads here tonight. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. We're thinking about these questions now. And I want you to think about that first question. Do you know what you're gifting within the body of Christ is? Would there be any of you here tonight that would say, you know, I, I'm thinking on that question, and I'm not sure yet. I've never actually asked myself the question, what is my specific gifting within the body of Christ? As you consider that question, would there be any here tonight that would raise their hand and say, you know, that's something I need prayer for, and something I'm, I'm now praying about. I'm not sure yet quite what my gifting is in the body of Christ, and I want to know. I want to be able to exercise it. How many of you would say, yes, that's me? I see, I see that hand. Would there be others, any others that would say, I'm not sure. How many would say, you know, that second question, are you actively, readily exercising your gifting within the body of Christ? How many would, of you would say, 
you know, the Holy Spirit convicted me tonight. I know what it is. I've been doing it some. Or maybe I haven't been doing it at all. And I know I ought to. I know I ought to be exercising my gifting if this body is to grow in Christ. How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know, that's where I'm at tonight. That's where I'm at. Yes, thank you. Would there be others? Thank you. How many would say, are you seeking to demonstrate the unique love you experience within the church to those outside of it by leading them to a saving, believing knowledge of the Son of God? How many would say tonight, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting me about uh, just my passion to speak for him every day, to make a concentrated effort to target an area that needs the gospel, to go across uh, the street and reach out to my neighbors? How many of you would say, that's where the Holy Spirit's convicting me tonight? Yes, thank you. Appreciate your tender hearts before the Lord. And how many of you would, with me, say, Lord, I want to be prepared to advance and multiply this body of Christ as God would lead. How many of you would say, yes, that's me. I want to be ready. I want to be exercising my gifting and prepared to multiply this body of, of Christ. Yes, so many hands. Thank you for your tender hearts to see God's will done in your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.